It is a beautiful day to apply some logic and confess the truth. I'm Megan Steele, and this is Confessions of a School Nurse. Good morning. Welcome to episode number two. Today, we are going to begin by discussing the school to scalpel pipeline. It's essentially the theory that kids go to school, they're indoctrinated, and bam, they're under that scalpel to transgenderism. I believe that this is one of the most crucial battles that schools are facing. And unfortunately, it seems that a lot of schools are recruiting warriors for their battle rather than obliterating the evil. I'm going to discuss some truth and logic today that may make a few of you uncomfortable and upset, and that's okay. Remember, it's okay to have diversity in thought. It means that we are coming together for the sharing of our knowledge, our morals, our values, and our ethics. And it is okay, and it's normal to agree to disagree. This transgenderism topic is so enormous that I'm not going to be able to cover it in just one episode. So today I'm going to cover some of the history of transgenderism, um, discuss how the CDC and the National Association of School Nurses, as well as the National Education Association, how they are taking their ideas, indoctrinating the educators and school nurses so that we will carry out uh, their malicious intent on our youth. In episode three and four that drop on June 10th and June 22nd, I'm going to be taking a look at the marketing that these activist groups are using on our students. Transgendered activists, they are experts in making the information so attractive, so lucrative, it's outrageous. All right, before we dive deep into conversation today, I want to begin by stating two very important facts. First, I believe that all students have intrinsic worth and dignity and should treat others respectfully in the way that they want to be treated. I believe that students that identify as transgendered are experiencing psychological distress and illness, and they must receive therapeutic support from trained and licensed mental health professionals, educators, and school nurses, we are not trained, nor are we licensed therapists. We are teachers and we are nurses. Secondly, I believe that all schools must ensure that they support a productive learning environment. And when students' needs are met, focus can be placed on academic. I frequently say Maslow's before academics, And I say this because for a large majority of the students we serve, we have to meet their basic needs because unfortunately they're not being met at home. So for those of you that aren't really uh, accustomed to know what Maslow's is, let me explain. Abraham Maslow, he was an American psychologist. He developed this hierarchy of needs and he formed it in a triangle. So the bottom of the triangle is looking at your basic needs. That would be like food and water, shelter, clothing, sleep, safety, those kinds of things. And then at the top of the triangle would be your self-actualizing needs, which is where you are Um, able to think uh, creatively, critical thinking, problem solving, those kind of skills. 
So as a school nurse and as an educator, we know that students must have the basic needs met before they can learn. So what do good educators and school nurses do? We do everything in our power to be able to meet those needs because we want students to learn. For some of us, that's just keeping extra food in our classrooms and our in our offices, or perhaps a change of clean clothes that we took home and laundered the night before. Uh, a lot of students don't have clean running water at home, let alone a washer and dryer. Some students just need, you know, that five minutes every morning to just regroup and face the day. Some students need their lice and nits combed out of their hair, and it may be for the fifth or sixth or tenth time in the month, but they'll come to the office and you spend time combing out nits and lice. My office is a safe place for these situations. And to be honest, this is like the tip top of the iceberg of what nurses and educators do to meet the needs of students. But the point is, when Maslow's basic needs are met, students can learn. The word needs is key here. Wants and desires is not part of this. Transgenderism is a want and a desire. Schools should never foster wants and desires. All right, now that those two things are stated, let's jump in on that history of transgenderism. It's actually quite interesting. Um, people wanting to be the opposite sex can be traced all the way back to biblical times. In Deuteronomy and Leviticus, their Mosaic law prohibited the Israelites from assuming the gender of the opposite sex. I actually didn't know this was in the Bible until I started researching this for this podcast. Uh, but men were not uh, a, a, allowed to appear or behave like women and vice versa. Deuteronomy 22.5 states, Woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. The sin described here was not the mere act of wearing the clothing of the opposite sex, but appearing as the opposite sex. It was a sign of moral, moral rebellion against the created order of male-female and was a distasteful sin. God created human beings in his own image as male and female. The design of humanity is purposeful and so good. And to deny the good of God suppresses the truth. Other ancient cultures, such as the Mesopotamian, the Assyrian, Sumerian, Babylonian, Aztec, and Mayan empires, they all show to have historical evidence that transgenderism was not accepted and was punishable by death. And in today's time, countries like Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, and other multiple Middle East cultures heavily punish or kill those that claim to be transgender. Now, just for clarification, I am not for killing of those that sin. Hello, let's be real. I sin every day. I fall short of Jesus every day. I was pregnant in high school, so I know that I need Jesus. But what I am saying is that multiple countries and cultures all over the world detest transgenderism. But here in America, we paraded around in elementary schools. It just seems to, you know, do not apply logic. 
a little more on the history of transgenderism. There was a fella by the name of Magnus Hirschfeld, and he started and opened the world's first institute for sexual research. Yes, the first institute for sexual research in Germany in 1919. Hirschfeld and three other physicians would spend years researching and writing information and books regarding transgenderism and homosexuality. The immense library they created contained diagrams and protocols and rules for transitioning. This group of doctors would perform the first documented male to female surgical transition in 1930. Keep in mind, this was before penicillin was even used on humans. Penicillin wasn't used on humans until 1941 to 1942. So 11 to 12 years before we even had a medication to fight basic bacterial infections, we were cutting off our God-given genitals. The surgery that they performed, they gave the name genital um wand lung, and it literally means transformation of the genitals. And it occurred in three stages, castration, penectomy, and vaginoplasty. So essentially this male patient had his testes cut off, then his penis cut off, and then they somehow took whatever was left and created a vaginal canal, I, I guess. I'm not totally uh, sure how that surgery was done in 1930, but uh, that was essentially the steps that it took. Um, some historians talk about a surgery of an intersex person that occurred in 1906, but this was really difficult to find a lot of information about whether this was a, a female um, organs that were removed or the male organs that were removed. Intersex is basically where a person is born with both characteristics of male and female. And so these are not transgendered individuals. They, they are intersex. Um, and so I think it's very important when we're discussing transgenderism that we are not including those that were born with an anomaly of their chromosomes. Um, but back to Hirschfeld and his three partners in crime, they would also prescribe hormone therapy to increase the breast size and soften the male features, especially around the face. But here's an interesting twist to their little scheme they had going on. In 1933, the Nazis came to the Institute and burned their books. Do you remember all of the Nazi book burning stuff that happened? Yeah, well, this was documented as one of the biggest Nazi book burning events that occurred before World War II. So right before the Nazis arrived, Hirschfeld fled to France and a couple years later he passed away. But one of his collaborators decided to join with the Nazis and he became a chief medical advisor. And he was responsible for conducting the horrific experiments in the Dachau concentration camp. So interesting, isn't it? But if we fast forward a bit to the Americas in the 1950s, doctors began widely prescribing hormones to those wanting to transition. During the 1960s and 70s, psychologists and psychiatrists, they were affirming people and their desires to transition. 
And then in the late 1970s and the early 1980s, the transition surgery skyrocketed. So while this practice was still fairly marginalized in society, still hidden, but not to those prescribing and performing these surgeries, it was no longer an experiment. It was a common daily practice. History really doesn't outline when all of this nonsense began in our schools, but I highly suspicion that it began back in the 1950s and 60s because when it became a common practice for doctors to prescribe hormones of those wanting to transition. History tells us that things that start changing in the medical field, then those practices are kind of transitioned into education and they follow suit or vice versa. Uh, I want to play a favorite clip of mine from a TV show growing up from Mr. Rogers. I'm playing this clip for two reasons, because it does fall into this history of transgenderism in America. First, if Mr. Rogers discussed it, there was an issue going on and it needed to be addressed publicly. Think of all of his shows that he did. He addressed real issues occurring with children. This clip also provides so much logic that we must make Mr. Rogers great again. Are fancy on the outside. Some are fancy on the inside. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. If you were born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. If you were born a girl, you stay a girl and grow up to be a lady. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. Only girls can be the mommies. Only boys can be the daddies. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is. Well, well, well. Fancy that. Boys are boys and girls are girls. Logic applied. You know, I truly don't believe that the average, the normal Midwestern American mom and dad knew that transgenderism was overtaking our educational system until COVID. The coasts, they were obviously far more advanced. They are more radical. And what they do trickles to the Midwest. It used to take, you know, five to 10 years. But now that technology and social media has greatly overtaken the lives of everyone, the amount of time between things happening on the coast and them coming to the Midwest has drastically de decreased. It is crucial that parents monitor every move their children make on social media, or better yet, just don't even let them have it. I firmly believe that transgender activists prey on vulnerable youth that spend 90% or more of their day glued to technology.
I will cover more of this topic on episode three and four in June. All right, I'm going to transition to a little bit of the CDC. The CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they urge teachers, administrators, and school nurses to adopt LGBT curriculum and to endorse transgender identities for their students. Yes, this is true. And while we should apply absolutely no logic to this situation, let's take a look at the good old gender unicorn being used in schools. I was contacted by two different school nurses that clued me into this gender unicorn. Um, and these two school nurses are from the Midwest, so this is being used on our school's local. Um, I had one school nurse tell me she saw an administrator use the gender unicorn, and another one told me they saw a school counselor use this. Um, if, you're, if you're not watching the podcast and you're just listening, what is on screen right now is a purple unicorn that's standing on two legs that has a rainbow bubble and like a thinking bubble. Um, and then it has two hearts, a red heart and an orange heart. And then down in the um, private area, it has a double helix DNA model. Then to the side of this gender unicorn are five different categories. One of them is gender identity, gender expression, sex assigned at birth, physically attracted to, and emotionally attracted to. What business is it of any school personnel to know the answers to any of these questions? The only thing schools should know is sex because a grown man should not be in a teenage girl bathroom. Girls are entitled to privacy in their own safe spaces and to develop without humiliation at school. Depriving girls of their privacy at school is the definition of sexual harassment. I'm going to say that again. Depriving girls of their privacy at school is the definition of sexual harassment. The CDC continues. And if you want to see all of these wonderful uh, position statements of theirs, just go to their website, type in schools and transgenderism, and lots of them will pull up. Uh, but the CDC also would like schools to alter their practices to, and I quote, allow students to use the bathroom or locker room which aligns to their chosen gender. So if I think outside the box on this a little bit, um, I believe that some say there's over a hundred gender identities. So are schools going to use my tax dollars to add more than 100 bathrooms so every identity has their own bathroom? Hmm. I just cannot logically understand why this is even a topic that we have to discuss. It just doesn't logically make sense. What happened to just going to school to learn to read, to learn to write, and be productive citizens? And when did the CDC get to tell schools what to do? Aren't they the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, not promotion? Perhaps they should focus on preventing the transgenderism disease. Ah, logic applied. Hmm, guess we need to 
do not apply logic. I, I don't know why I have such a problem with this. Do not apply logic. If you would like your own Do Not Apply Logic plaque, you can go to my website, confessionsofaschoolnurse.com. That's confessionsofaschoolnurse.com and uh, get your own plaque because I know that you know that you need one. But moving on again, we still have more of the CDC because they have so much they want to shove down our throats as nurses and educators. They would also like our children to have access to age-appropriate LGBTQ content and information, as well as inclusive curriculum and visual labels. And get this, this one is completely laughable. Teachers and nurses, we should no longer be able to use the term boys and girls. And instead, the CDC recommends that we say body with a penis and body with a vagina. Yes, I'm serious. They say this on their website. How many times have you walked up and down the halls and heard a teacher say, all right, boys and girls, time to line up. It's time for our spelling test or whatever it is. Can you imagine a middle school teacher telling those middle schoolers, bodies with a penis and bodies with a vagina, time to line up? They would be so busy laughing, absolutely no education would take place at all. And let's think about saying that to kindergartners. Would they even know what to do? Because five-year-olds really shouldn't know about penises and vaginas. Again, do not apply logic. But if you have a teacher or fellow school nurse that says these things, that they say body with a penis or body with a vagina, please contact me. I would love to interview you. My email is megan at confessionsofaschoolnurse.com. That's megan at confessionsofaschoolnurse.com. All right. I still, I have more with the CDC because they just like have all of this stuff. It's just ridiculously crazy. But they want to encourage all school staff to endorse the LGBTQ blah, 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 whatever it is, symbols. They want us to consult with their activist groups. And they want us to change our school policies to align with the LGBTQ blah, 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 blah activists. Here's my questions. Why don't we support the cross? Why don't we endorse the cross or endorse the Bible? Why don't we align our school policies with biblical teachings? Why don't we consult with ministers and preachers? Why aren't we teaching the Bible? Can I get an amen? Remember that we currently live in a world where your kid cannot pretend to be an Indian at Thanksgiving, but a grown man can be a woman, and if you question it, you're a bigot. Moving on away from the CDC, but I've got so much more to say about them whenever we get into episode three and four, but I'm going to move into the National Association of School Nurses because I didn't realize that they were shoving this down our throat so many years ago, but it's true they were. Back in March of 2017, yes, 2017, that was over six years ago, they tell us uh, that in order to provide holistic care, that we need to 
um, understand the language and definitions. So they had these three different documents that they published in the NASA School Nurse Journal. The first one is titled LGBTQ Youth Part One Cultural Competencies. And they want us to understand this language and definitions of this entire community. My problem with that is if you've seen any recent TikToks recently, they have new definitions and new genders and new pronouns being created daily. That's kind of hard to keep up with. Um, I kind of also find it funny because the article, yes, it's six years old, but the article is titled LGBTQ. But now we've already added so many more letters, right? We're at LGBTQ2IA+. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of funny. I truly try to stay informed so I can serve my students in the best way possible, but all of the name changes in baloney make it so much more difficult to understand their language and definition. The article also talks about it being perfectly, quote, normal for a child to frequently change their gender presentation, as the concept of gender is more fluid than society typically recognizes. No. No, that is a lie. Nassen and the authors of this article are wanting you to erase male and female in our society, and they demand that I do the same. But guess what? I'm not, and I won't. It's not rude. It's not biology, and it's not biblical. It's not the truth. The article continues, and I quote, School nurses can provide a non-judgmental and private place for youth to discuss their thoughts and feelings and ask questions. I agree 110% with this statement. Every school nurse's office and educator's classroom should be a safe place for all students to talk and ask questions. But the next sentence is where it gets a little sticky. School nurses should use appropriate language that, quote, affirms student identity and creates an environment where queer youths can safely express themselves without fear of judgment or retribution. First of all, I don't judge students. Students are youth and youth can do some really dumb things. The good Lord knows I did. Again, I was pregnant in high school and I don't retaliate against students. I always tell the truth. I will not affirm a want, a desire, a delusion, or whatever it is. I won't. And you don't need to either. Whatever you do, never lie to a student. Affirming their delusion is lying. It is providing and engaging in their false narrative. When you affirm this narrative of theirs, they continue to spiral in the delusion. If they were to get the truth and know that a trusted adult can be honest and truthful, think of the endless possibilities you can instill in a vulnerable youth. The second article titled LGBTQ Part 2, Examining the Health Disparities and Psychological Struggles Experienced by LGBTQ Youth, states that I, as a school nurse, need to be an advocate for gender and sexual minority youth and promote practices that affirm the experiences of LGBTQ youth. Okay, 
This article states that I will leave a profound mark on countless youth by doing these things. How about I just tell the truth? Won't that leave a profound mark on students? How about working with the parents and the guardians of the youth so they can get the mental and medical help they need to assist with their real issues? Won't that leave a mark as well? What about collaborating with the student, their parents and their teachers and the counselors so we can all help this child with their mental illness and support their counseling or whatever therapy is needed? I am sure that will leave a lasting mark. You see, activists are exploiting the mental health problems of vulnerable students and are weaponizing them to fulfill a political agenda and make a profit. Stop supporting this narrative. The third article is NASA's position statement on LGBTQ students. And this position statement essentially notes that as school nurses, we have an ethical, again, an ethical responsibility to provide care for all students. Yes, absolutely, we have an ethical responsibility to provide care for all students. But the position statement continues to tell me that I need to collaborate. I need to recognize health risks, make referrals, provide support. Yes, I need to do that for all students. Absolutely. But here's where I struggle. It says, advocate for LGBTQ students. Yes, I will advocate them with the truth. I will advocate with the truth, not their delusion. The entire position statement from NASN denies truth. And as nurses, we have an ethical obligation to tell the truth. If you are a school nurse and you are supporting the desire for high school senior boys to be in a locker room with middle school age girls, shame on you. You are supporting pedophilia and your butt should be in jail. It is evil. It is evil. And in May of 2019, NASA featured an article in the National Association of School Nurse, the School Nurse Journal, that discusses school nurses needing to help transgender students with their mental and sexual health. And by affirming certain practices, including recognizing students' gender-affirming names, using their pronouns, ensuring safe locker rooms, and advocating for students' clothing choices. Evil. The article also states that school nurses should, and I quote, respect and celebrate transgenderism. Yeah, no. A big fat N-O. No, not going to happen. If you're doing this, again, you are supporting pedophilia and your butt should be in jail. If you are still a member of NASA, stop it. Stop supporting their desire to hurt our children. In June of 2020, the Oregon Department of Education released their, okay, listen to all of these letters. Are you ready for it? LGBTQ2SIA+. I don't even know what all that means. LGBTQ2SIA+. Whatever all of that means, it is a some success plan. 
And um, let me just say this, bodies with a penis and bodies with a vagina. If you live in Oregon, move, move. The Department of Education in Oregon cares more about the letter identity of your child than they do if whether your child can read or not. The 49-page document is pure evil. It gives specific action items to transform their schools into activism training grounds. Action items include such things as yearly training, policies requiring pronouns, policies requiring gender-neutral bathrooms, delegating specific funding, specific funding to transgender students, and addressing barriers such as systemic racism. I will include a link to this document on my blog because if you need some fun bathroom reading, go ahead and take a look at it. Just remember, do not apply logic ever, ever, ever when you are reading that document. And again, if you're an Oregon move, in April of 2022, a Colorado school district sent their nurses to, get ready for this, quote, gender transition school. I would tell my boss absolutely no if he even remotely thought I would go to something like that. Uh, the purpose of this school was to train nurses on transition vocabulary, rules, and policies so they can avoid, quote, outing the student to his, her, they, them, their parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am sorry to you, uh, Colorado school district school nurses. No, don't do it. Don't, 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 and don't waste your time with that. Tell the truth. Stand for the truth. But sadly, in my state of Kansas, the Shawnee Mission School District is justifying discussion of transgenderism with kindergartners. Yes, five-year-olds talking about transgenderism. If this is happening in Kansas, which is in the middle of the United States of America, imagine what is happening on the coast. In April of 2022, Dr. Bates, who was and still maybe be in charge of the DEI program at Shawnee Mission, I'm not quite sure if he still is or not, but in April of 2022, he explained that if students are exposed to information, they are ready to learn about it. Uh, what kind of doctorate degree do you have? Because even my six-year-old knows that that statement is not true. Moving on, Dr. Bates said, it is never too early to talk about pretty much anything. I beg to differ. But he says that kindergartners are identifying as non-gender conforming or non-binary in their classrooms. Okay. So I know that society says I shouldn't apply logic here, but because I operate under truth and logic and I have a big mouth, I'm just going to open it. I believe that if this five-year-old really knows what non-binary means, then perhaps we as a school should be more concerned about getting them on an educational path that will allow them to keep expanding their knowledge because being in a classroom learning how to write numbers and read three-letter words is far too easy for this child. Secondly, perhaps someone should be calling Child Protective Services because this child is being groomed and abused. 
In addition to Shawnee Mission, the Olathe chapter of the National Education Association said parents should not be notified if a child wants to be identified with pronouns other than their birth gender. And speaking of this good old National Education Association, y'all, did you know that they have a Center for Social Justice? Yeah, these people get taxpayer dollars, union dollars, and they have a Center for Social Justice. And um, this is what they specialize in, mobilizing educators, allies, and activists to fight for racial, social, and economic justice in public education. Let me tell you again, this is huge. This is what they're doing. This is why we are having a problem in our school system. The NEA, the largest union for teachers, they specialize in mobilizing educators, allies, and activists to fight for racial, social, and economic justice in public education. They believe every student deserves a safe, welcoming, and affirming learning environment. This is evil. And I got another crazy one for you too. Schools are pushing to create a more inclusive environment by creating gender-affirming closets. Yeah, you heard that right. Gender-affirming closets. Libraries and children's hospitals are providing access to chest binders, tucking tape, stand-to-pee devices, and makeup to help students change their identity. Logically speaking, how about we, you know, provide clothes, shoes, blankets, food, access to washers and dryers and showers for the kids that don't have them at home? Or better yet, why don't you dump that money into teacher salaries so we can get highly qualified teachers to actually teach our children and not focus on their chosen pronoun of the day? I guess that would be applying logic and I just keep forgetting society doesn't want me to do that. But I also need to say that I personally feel that schools handing out these medical items are practicing gender-affirming medical care without a license, and they should be charged criminally. Please, if there is an attorney that will go after these people, let's do it. Let's partner up and do it. It is time to stand for the truth. But as I start to close this podcast, it's time to mention some important truths and my challenge. Educators and school nurses we are in a position of authority and respect. We must always consider what is in the best interest of a student. And that is the truth. The purpose of education is to teach students how to reason and think so they are prepared for college or a career or wherever their life takes them. Education's purpose is not to cultivate partisan ideologies, or be activists. Here's my challenge for you. State the truth. Have a student that you don't refer to as their legal name, call them their legal name. It may be a bit uncomfortable, especially the first time, but truth starts with one action or one word. And I'd be curious to know the reactions you get by doing this. What do the people around you do? What does the student do? If school is already over for you, I challenge you to do this with a friend or family member because I know you got them. It may be hard and it's going to be really difficult, but truth is hard and difficult and you can 
do this. You can do this. You're not alone. We are all in this together. Please share, please like, please subscribe, and all the other good things that you do for this podcast. Let's get truth and logic out to all teachers, school nurses, and parents. I'm really new to this podcast shindig, but I am told liking and subscribing is a really good thing. Have some thoughts or ideas, please send me an email at megan at confessionsofaschoolnurse.com. That's megan at confessionsofaschoolnurse.com. M-E-G-A-N at confessionsofaschoolnurse.com. So until next time, confess to tell the truth. God bless.